Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Hey, everybody. We got a great one, you know, for a change. And this time, this time... This time I mean it, because Norm Ornstein is back. Those of you who are regular listeners know that Norm is the expert on Congress, and no better week to have him on than this week, when the nutcase Republican House barrels ahead to a shutdown. The last shutdown, which lasted over 35 days from December 18th well into January 20th, of uh, 2019 was under an entirely Republican Congress and a Republican president and cost our Treasury about $5 billion and hurt uh, a whole bunch of people. This time it's uh, just the Republican House. We did it all ourselves. Norm has studied Congress for 40 plus years and paints a very scary picture of this group in the House and the future that it envisions. You know, we're in a very dangerous time now. We've had the illegitimate capture of the Supreme Court, and we discussed the court, too, and Norm, like me, has an especially dark view of Chief Justice John Roberts. And with the court captured, we have a Congress that also does not represent the American people. The 49 Republican senators represent just 41% of the American people and the gerrymandering that the Roberts court has enabled has allowed Republicans to win this narrow majority in the house. Their ultimate goal is to lock that in. And in, in the future, when Norm says 75% of our population will be in 15 States, well, holy crap. Uh, This is a great one, a scary one with a recurring member of the great, Al Franken pantheon of great guests, maybe, I don't know, the second or third best of all Norm Ornstein. But before I go to Norm, I want to say a word about Dianne Feinstein. Dianne died today. I'm uh, taping this monologue on on Friday. I served with Dianne on the Judiciary Committee. Now, neither of us were lawyers, uh, but both of us uh, did some significant work on judiciary. Diane authored the 1994 assault weapons ban, which lasted 10 years till 2004. Unfortunately, the uh, Senate didn't authorize it uh, in, in reauthorize it in 2004. And 
we saw an explosion in the production of more and more lethal assault weapons. Uh, Diane reintroduced the ban in 2012 after Sandy Hook, uh, and uh, that was tragically uh, voted down. When I I first got to the Senate, uh, we had a hearing. As I said, neither of us was lawyers. I was I, and I was good. Uh, and Diane came up to me and said, with some surprise, "What you did today was very good." And I said, "Well, thanks." And she said. You know, when you first came here, I thought you were going to be stupid. And I said, why? And she said, well, because you're a comedian. And I said, well, comedians are generally pretty smart. And she said, oh, I don't think so. Mostly what they say is kind of stupid. And I just left it, left it there. Uh, I don't think Diane listened or watched a lot of popular culture she was uh, she was so dedicated to her senate work so finally remembering diane today she no doubt probably should not have run in 2018 but she was an impactful senator took on the cia torture regime during bush uh we honor her today Oh, and one other thing, uh, just uh, toward the, I don't know, two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through the interview, uh, Norm's dog, Henry, uh, starts uh, barking at somebody, and uh, that's what it is. And I know Henry. Uh, Henry's um, not very intimidating. He's about 15 pounds, but he, uh, he likes to bark if anyone gets near their door. So just know that. Anyway, it's a great one except for Henry, for a change. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that, means, that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Norm, you haven't been back in a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's our fault. But uh, and, and, you know, in the meantime, you temporarily fell off the Pantheon. Of guests 
I'm, I'm well aware, Al, and I have to tell you, I'm deeply disappointed. You take me off and I send you a gold bar and <laughs> you back on, and then you take me off again. I mean, I got a limited supply of these gold bars. Well, you're back on and uh, okay. thanks for the new gold bar. Okay. You know what happened? Uh, Ann Applebaum did a spectacular yeah, uh, and uh, so I put her on, and that was only her second time on. You've been on, I don't know, eight, nine, ten times. Yeah. So uh, I just feel terrible. But you're back on. You're back yeah, I'm on. I'm back on, and and I can't uh, quibble. Anne is uh, fabulous. Yeah, and Frank Four, I might just kick him off. Yeah. Although he's always good, he's always good. So it's hard. It's hard. I have uh, many, many great guests, but you're. You're in the, in the pantheon. You're uh, you're the best. And today you have a fun topic, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is it appears that the government may shut down, the uh, federal government may shut down for a while. And I uh, want you are a scholar on Congress, and uh, so I couldn't bring in a better member of the pantheon to to walk us through this. And I especially don't know the house. I want to know what's going on and then dig deeper. <laughs> okay. And, and go, what's behind this or underneath or deep, yeah. deeper be underneath it all? So uh, where are we today? Today, as we record this, is Tuesday. So this will inevitably change in, and, and it doesn't air till Sunday. So by then, it's either closed or it isn't, right? Yeah, October 1 uh, is the start of the new fiscal year. We uh, do not have money allocated through appropriations starting at midnight on the 30th of September. So we are, I would say, almost certain to have a shutdown uh, as of then. The only caveat, and it's a very iffy caveat, is they could punt it for 30 days or 45 days. The Senate Democrats and Republicans, who oddly enough are pretty united on this, right. against a shutdown. They've done an extenuated, yeah. extended yeah. Uh, 30 days, They're right? They're trying to push 30 or 45 days, but that would require Kevin McCarthy, and this is where we get into the immediate roadblock. Now, he's the Speaker of the House. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in name only. We have rhinos, Republican in name only. This is a sino. Uh, 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 he's got enough Republicans. And remember, their margin is five, and they've got a couple of resignations pending. And one, their uh, leader, uh, Steve Scalise, with cancer. They have very little margin. How bad is his cancer? It's, uh, it's, I he says concern. That, yeah, you know, he says that it's curable with but he's got to go through chemo and the like. Um, and it's actually mm -hmm. an interesting element that we can talk about later if McCarthy gets ousted. Because he's sort of the next in line. He would be but, the next yeah. in line um, and he would love it. But uh, this may be a, a problem for him. But anyhow, that's okay. a side issue at the moment. The problem that we have immediately was set in motion back at the beginning of this Congress when it took Kevin McCarthy 15 ballots and several agonizing days to get Republican votes to put him over the top and become the speaker. 
and he had to sell out to his Freedom Caucus right-wing radical members in a whole host of ways. And one of the ways in the end in which he had to sell out was the demand from Matt Gates, who hates McCarthy and uh, who was one of the last holdouts. He had to give in to the ability for any member to introduce and get a vote on a motion to vacate the chair. So it only takes one person. Gates and others have already threatened. That means that to vacate the chair would mean you're not the chair anymore. We have to have another vote. It, it ousts the speaker and there is another vote for a speaker. And, you know, if the motion to vacate fails, obviously McCarthy stays as speaker. If he's removed, he can run again, but that would be a pretty clear indication that he would not have uh, the votes. McCarthy knew from the beginning that he would have to sell his soul, with another caveat here, whether he had a soul to begin with is a, a question, to achieve this goal, to become the speaker, to the most radical forces in his party in the House And let's be clear that you could define the radical forces as being two-thirds of House Republicans on this basis. After the January 6th violent riots and attempted insurrection, the Capitol in tatters and several hours to get it back to a point where the Congress could reconvene to do the electoral votes. Even after that, with many of these members pissing in their pants and the fear that they might be killed, two-thirds of them still voted to say that Joe Biden had not won the election. So we've got a group of crazies there to begin with, but the craziest of the crazies are running the show, and they're the ones pushing for a shutdown. They want a shutdown because they think that the American people will be delighted when they realize that If there's no government, it doesn't really affect their lives, which every previous experience with a shutdown would suggest is an erroneous assumption. Well, that that goes, goes to the question of how does it affect people's lives? We know from previous shutdowns, but we also know from the reality of what government does, even though you have surveys that suggest that people would like to cut the size of the government dramatically, every single program that the government does, except for foreign aid, gets a huge majority of support for keeping it in place. So if you shut down all but the most essential features, you probably still get social security checks going out, but they might be delayed. You're going to have, just to take it to one granular level, The endowments for the arts and humanities get shut down. The grants that go to libraries, uh, museums, theater companies, most of which, by the way, in local communities, have boards that are filled with Republicans, go through chaos. You're going to have the CDC and many of its essential functions cut back. You're going to have national parks closed at a time when, for many of them, because it's you know a time of year when a lot of people travel. Going to a, a national park in Utah, say. Yeah, where the economy of Utah depends heavily on all of those parks. And remember, it's not just the parks themselves. 
It's all the businesses and hotels and restaurants that depend on tourist traffic for their own economic well-being. And this hits red states as much as it does blue states. Now, you're going to have very possibly some delays in travel because some of the agencies will not be able to operate. You may end up with an environmental catastrophe that we are not going to be able to have the EPA or other agencies be able to deal with. There are lots of things in people's daily lives that they don't realize depend on the federal government. And then, of course, over 2 million, uh, actually 2.7 million or so civilian employees, most of whom will not be able to collect their salaries while the government is shut down. That, in turn, will put pressure on local economies and will, of course, cause enormous disruptions, some of them having trouble making rent payments or mortgage payments. And then you've got all the contractors. You know, As you know, you'd go into uh, a federal building and there are people who are cleaning the offices. There are people manning the security desks. Most of them are not federal employees. They're contractors. They don't get paid when the government is shut down and they won't get reimbursed in the end for their salaries lost. So there are disruptions in lots of people's lives. And what we know from previous shutdowns is that after a while, you get an enormous backlash and people demanding that they reopen. How much that will move these radical Republican members like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Matt Gates and Paul Gosar and Scott Perry, and we could go through a whole laundry list of them, remains to be seen. And then the dilemma hits Kevin McCarthy because they could pass an appropriation bill. And remember, we had an agreement broadly accepted to extend the debt ceiling with specific numbers for all of these government programs and their appropriations. And it's McCarthy under pressure from his lunatics reneging on that agreement. You could get a bill that would abide by those, one that would accept what is going to be a broad bipartisan approach in the Senate in a nanosecond if you do it with the Democrats who would support that and at least a handful of Republicans. But that's the end of McCarthy's speakership. Let's talk about that. So um, because this could happen, Democrats could team up with some moderate Republicans to pass something. Uh, But you say that's the end of the speakership. Can Republicans say, you know what, Uh, what's so bad about speakers, uh, Speaker Jeffries? Uh, I mean, a few Republicans. And why don't we just make him speaker? All we need to give him is five votes. And then I'm the five of us who voted for him are now chairman of <laughs> uh, these committees. I mean, wh- why is that a possibility? What um, I would stranger say, things happened, or is this uh, maybe not? We've but, seen things like that in some state legislatures where you've reached this kind of a, an agreement. It is extremely unlikely here. One reason why. They're all moral cowards or lunatics or both. Well, I'm talking about moderate. There are no moderates who no, would there, go well, like. First of all, there are no moderates. There are. <laughs> I mean, period. Okay. There are no moderates. There are more moderate members. There are some who would fit the kind of definition of traditional conservative instead of radical. 
But it's not just, by the way, that doing so means a death sentence in terms of a primary campaign. Go back and look at the interview that McKay Cobbins did in The Atlantic with Mitt Romney, uh, which is a part of the book uh, that uh, he's going to come out with on conversations with Romney. Right. Now he's talking about the Senate there. Talking about the Senate, where members have come up to him and said they're worried about death threats to them and their families. And one of the things we don't talk about enough is the degree to which Donald Trump now calling for a death sentence for the outgoing chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mark Milley. That happens all the time, that outgoing former presidents (laughs) call for a death sentence for an outgoing. Well, yeah, it's so president. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm, I'm sorry. I was confusing us with a former Latin American country. Uh, yeah, uh, exactly so. Anyhow, uh, yeah, or a country where they take them and throw them out the windows. But Paul Gosar, a House member who's one of the worst and most radical and one of those who helped plan the insurrection from Arizona, also yeah. calling for the execution of Milley. Trump is trying to basically make violence a core part of his portfolio because he wants to intimidate juries, judges, and others into believing that if they convict him or do anything that he doesn't like, then they could end up being murdered or at least assaulted. Very smart. Yeah. Very smart. You got to respect the guy Yeah. for when he's backed against the wall. So let's go back to Millie and what he should be uh, executed for. And is that the uh, reporting in the book that uh, one of the books that he went to talk to China, that Millie was really worried that Trump could start a war, even a nuclear war. And so he started talking to uh, the Chinese about, um, okay, guys, if this kind of thing starts to look like it's happening, I'm going to call you, right? That's a part of it. It's also that throughout- That's just part of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and you can even say a small part of it. Uh, it M- Millie also said that throughout Trump's term, they worried that he would trigger a war or uh, blow up the country. But it was also that at one point, Millie took a war hero who had lost his leg and showcased him as a veteran. And Trump said, I don't want that ever to happen again. I don't like people who've lost legs uh, or wounded uh, veterans. So all of that that makes Trump look really bad, all of which is certainly accurate, had Trump react with his usual outrage and suggest that not only does Milley deserve execution, but that if he gets reelected, there will be firing squads, basically, uh, even if he didn't use the term. You know, I uh, I, I tweeted as soon as uh, Biden won the ele- it was declared that Biden won the election that uh, that Milley or whoever is in charge of it. Uh, shouldn't take away the nuclear code from Trump, but they should give him the wrong code. Yes, that would have been a wise move. 
And maybe he did it, by the way. Right. I mean, I, mean. Yeah, I don't I wouldn't. Uh, now, the other thing that has gotten Gosar and the other radical Republicans upset is that Milley has defended the military force, which includes trans people, gay people, women, uh, as representing not just the diversity of the country, but also creating the best fighting force in the history of the world. And this is woke to the DeSantis's of the world. So Milley's a villain for supporting woke military policies. You know, I did a lot of USO tours, and I remember many times, you know, performing to these troops, and there were so many LGBT uh, soldiers. And I remember sort of the uh, le- lesbians would sit together mm-hmm. <laughs> and cheer, and I'd make jokes about that, and they would cheer. And I would, it, it, I would always get the uh, permission of, of the commander of yeah. the base. And usually they were fine with it. And I just go like, General Barnes, uh, I got to say, you know, one of the great generals in our military and a gay man <laughs> who leads this space and stand up. <laughs> and then he'd wave. I mean, they were so okay with it in the military. And, of course, one of our most integrated parts of our society. <sighs> okay. yeah. But, you know, this is it, that's as we begin to look at where all of this craziness came from. Certainly the now amplified hysteria and backlash against LGBTQ people and the trans community, more uh, specifically, has been building for a long time, and it is now one of the core parts of the Republican Party uh, platform. Boy, you know, that's so crazy in terms of looking to the future, especially, because young people are just like, huh? Yeah. They're just going to lose, lose, lose people. But in in the meantime... They are. They got their issues. They got immigration. They got uh, other stuff. And this is going to be a close election. This is going to be a close election beyond any doubt. But, you know, getting to the larger point, they are losing younger generations. That is absolutely true. They don't uh, want to do anything to alter that. And the reason is they think they've got the system stacked right now in their favor so they can win with a minority support. And they can win with the support of older voters. When you say that, do you mean electoral college? What do you mean? Electoral college, the Senate, and the uh, heavily gerrymandered House. And, of course, they've done it at a a huge level in the states. You know, the state uh, legislative gerrymanders, places like Wisconsin and North Carolina, are just beyond... Ludicrous. Ohio. Um... But what they what they're hoping is, and you know, they have a, a system now where the small states and the rural areas have inordinate power. What they're hoping for is that they can use this to keep power now, even with support from a minority, and the hope that the economy is not going to improve enough that voters are going to give Biden credit for it. That if they take all the reins of power and with the judges that they have that are friendly to them, 
they can, in seizing that power, codify rules that will enable them to stay in power even as they lose a younger generation, to have 40% support in the electorate and still win the presidency and win majorities. And with a Supreme Court where John Roberts, who is an embarrassment to the country, an embarrassment to the judiciary, not just because he's turned a blind eye to the ethical criminality. I call them lapses, but those aren't lapses. No, it's, it's criminal behavior on the part of Thomas and Alito, at least those two. But he's also been behind the evisceration of the Voting Rights Act and the destruction yep. of campaign finance. And he has not changed, even as it's become clear that basis of those decisions was false. I consider exactly. I consider him as pernicious as any of them. Yeah. I just think he is a smooth politician. But if you look at, well, Shelby County was his decision. Yep. But Citizens United, remember he came in, I'm going to call balls and strikes. Yeah. And boy, that's not what he's done. And on, on Citizens United, uh, the basis behind that was that there was going to be transparency. First of all, Citizens United was really just about whether this group could take ads about a documentary they did on Hillary and put it on TV. That's what it was supposed to be about. Yes. And then they they decided, okay, well, we can't decide that now. And then they rebrought it up and made it Citizens United, made it the Citizens United that we know of, and suddenly decided to get rid of all money limits in politics. But that would be fine, said uh, Justice Kennedy, who wrote the opinion. He said, because there's going to be transparency. Everybody will know where the money's coming from, except there isn't. There wasn't. It's based on a lie. Well, it's also it's based on, a, 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 among other things, a lie, not just that he said they would call balls and strikes. That, that's that's uh, Roberts. So I'm going to call balls and strikes. But Roberts also said that he was going to strive to have as many decisions as possible go eight to one or nine to nothing by respecting stare decisis and deciding them on the narrowest grounds possible. What happened with Citizens United, just to echo and expand on what you said, is that Citizens United was brought on the narrowest basis as applied. In other words, can they show this documentary about Hillary on pay-per-view or in other ways, it was easy to make a decision that actually would have given them a little bit more leeway, but not destroyed the campaign finance system. Roberts went along with pulling it back and deciding it on a basis that had never been briefed or argued to make sure that he could destroy a hundred plus years of campaign finance uh, law and precedent. He lied to the Senate in his confirmation hearings and then amplify that, not just with Citizens United, but with a whole series of decisions that have come since. He will go down in history, I believe, as one of the worst chief justices on a par with Roger Taney, uh, who, of course, basically codified uh, the worst segregation possible. I mean, everyone always looks to Alito and Thomas and Gorsuch and, to some extent, Kavanaugh and, and Coney Barrett, but I do believe that, well, first of all, Roberts right now, right now, right now has the ability 
to say, Clarence Thomas, I'm sorry, but you're fired. Because what was Abe Fortas was kicked out for one one hundredth of this, right? Absolutely. And what we're learning about Clarence Thomas now is every new revelation that the corruption extends to levels that have not even come close to being achieved by others. And Sam Alito is not that far behind. But Thomas, you know, we don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but Clarence Thomas was caught red-handed more than a decade ago, failing to disclose a large share of income that had gone to his wife, failing to disclose other gifts. He went back and redid his disclosure forms. So he knew perfectly well what was required. And then he went back to doing the same thing, even worse, over and over again. And now we're learning about even more uh, of his perfidy. Uh, And of course, he's refused to recuse himself from any of the decisions that directly involve his wife, who is a radical insurrectionist, failed to disclose over $680,000 in income from her failed to disclose these enormous gifts. And just to take it to another level, he had a nephew he brought into his house. He treated like a son who had issues needed to go to a private school. He got a gift of $5,000 from a friend to help defray those costs. And he disclosed it on his disclosure forms. And then that was nice. Then did not disclose the (laughs) $150,000 from Harlan Crow. So he knew he was violating the rules. And what has John Roberts said about this? Not one word. He has not criticized him publicly. Earl Warren was chief justice when Abe Fortas got into these issues. Earl Warren knew that Abe Fortas was a reliable vote for him on most of the issues that mattered, and that Richard Nixon was likely to replace him with somebody who would not be nearly the ally. But Earl Warren was so offended by what Abe Fortas did, which was like jaywalking compared to... What, what did Fortas do? Just It was taking money, $15,000, which he then reimbursed from somebody who had a tangential relationship with the court. It was, by the standards of the time, wrong, ethically uh, insensitive, but it brought bipartisan support for removing him from the court. And this is Robert's call. We yeah. should make that clear. And so I think that you can point your finger at, uh, at, at Thomas. You can point your finger at Alito. The real finger goes <laughs> to Roberts. Yeah. And, you know, even if Roberts had just said, look, it's very clear now that my earlier defense of not having a code of ethics apply to the Supreme Court, the uh, same one or a related one to that that applies to every other federal judge. If he had just said, you know, I think it's time that we have a tough code of ethics, even just to protect the reputation of the court. Instead, he is basically stonewalled on that issue. And if they do get a code that they want to write themselves, it will be a meaningless one. John Roberts has contributed mightily to the destruction of the integrity of the Supreme Court, and he deserves to be publicly condemned for that. 
I think he's, you know, he's such a smooth operator and picks and he's such a good politician. He escapes the kind of scrutiny and the kind of uh, criticism that you're giving him. And I, I just I just think he's the worst temperamentally uh, Alito (laughs) may be the worst and Clarence Thomas, uh, that, that, that family, but boy, oh boy. And, 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 uh, um, chief justices, Robert's wife profits from, uh, doesn't she recommend lawyers to firms who have business before the court? But she is, uh, she gave up her practice in a law firm when he moved to the Supreme Court and developed a legal recruitment business where she recruits lawyers for firms, including all the big firms, and she makes a lot of money doing that. Let's keep in mind that Neil Gorsuch had a property in Colorado that had been on the market for three years and did not sell. He co-owned with uh, others. And as soon as he was picked for the Supreme Court, magically it sold. Uh, at a nice price. Let's keep in mind that Amy Coney Barrett sold a house to a group with which she is affiliated that has business, including on the Dobbs decision before the Supreme Court. Let's note that we still do not know who paid off the $180,000 or thereabouts in debts that Brett Kavanaugh had uh, we think maybe gambling debts, but we think maybe well, that. It was who knows what it was. Some of it was expensive tickets to uh, baseball games and other things, but he didn't pay for it. Somebody else did, and we don't know who did. There are serious ethical questions about a lot of these justices, and in some of them, and we have Alito who bizarrely said. The, the uh, Congress has no role in regulating the Supreme Court, which is a complete um, denial of what is flat you should out read the language Constitution. in the Constitution, yes, which also makes it clear that he doesn't care what the Constitution says. And now, now's the time for you to yell at Henry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Henry. But I'm afraid that does no good. I, I know Henry. Yeah, yes. Uh, there must be somebody outside. He is a very good guard dog. And an intimidating one. He weighs about, what, 15 pounds? He weighs 15 pounds. But every time I mention, (laughs) I will say, every time I mention the name Clarence Thomas, he does go berserk and he barks that crazy. So it may be that. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Norm Ornstein. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at amazon.com slash instant eraser foundation. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. 
And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. All right, we're uh, back with Norm Ornstein on the country deteriorating. Well, now we're just getting into the whole Republican project, which is the, the, what's going on now in the House is very much a part of that. And I just wonder what these uh, Freedom Caucus people are, what their goals are. And it seems to be more chaos than it is anything else. And let's just go back. I mean, there are a couple of things that are worth mentioning. The first is that this radical right populist strain is not new for the Republican Party. It goes back many decades, and you could look at Robert Taft running against the more moderate Republicans in the 1940s, against Wendell Wilkie and Tom Dewey, failing at that point, the uprising in the Goldwater era. But most relevant for now is that we had the success of the Republican Party with the Tea Party movement after the financial collapse of 2008 and into 2009 that swept into a majority in the House in 2010 with the biggest gains that they'd achieved in a century. And that was after we passed the Affordable Care Act, yes, which was lied and lied and lied about. You're going to pull the plug on grandma. Yeah. What's important here is that it was portrayed as a, a backlash on economics. It was the Tea Party dealing with the big government and, uh, you know, these uh, intrusions into people's lives, but also um, the economic performance. We know that the what so-called young guns, Kevin McCarthy, Eric Cantor, Paul Ryan, traveled around the country at the 2010 election whipping them up into a frenzy. But what we also know from a lot of research is that the economic issues were not the drivers for them. It was race and the social issues as much as anything else. We brought in this wave of radical members in 2010. McCarthy, Cantor, Ryan thought that they could co-opt their anger to win a big victory, and then they could co-opt them but it didn't work. They got co-opted. A couple of years later, Eric Cantor lost his seat in a safe Republican district in Richmond, Virginia, Virginia yeah. to a crazy radical right guy named Dave Bratt. We know that those radical Tea Party people, and you know they dominated the House. They forced out John Boehner as Speaker, then brought in Paul Ryan, who thought once again he could co-opt them until he decided it was too much and left. And they've expanded their numbers. There was no Freedom Caucus at that point. There was a right-wing caucus called the Republican Study Committee that had a majority of the members, and it and lately expanded to 80% of the members of the House, the right-wing caucus. Then the Freedom Caucus got created in 2015, because the right-wing caucus wasn't radical right-wing enough. And they're now driving things forward. And they've created the same, if not worsened, problem for Kevin McCarthy that John Boehner had and that Paul Ryan had. And they're driving this ship. And what's happened is Donald Trump was an accelerant 
of all of my this God, yeah. radical right-wing fascist approach. And it's no longer a party, it's a cult. And the cult does not have an ideology. It's not like conservatism that wants a smaller but efficient government. It is a radical cult theology that believes if you could blow up all of government, we would have freedom and everybody would be better off. And they're using race and anti-LGBT policies and a fair amount of anti-Semitism built into it. And the part of the race part is anti-immigration, of course. Anti-immigration as well, to whip up their base and believing that if their base is there and the, the Democratic base is divided, that they can win with a minority of voters. Which they do in presidential elections because of the Electoral College. And they also uh, win in the majority in the Senate because what percentage? Uh, right now, I think that the Democrats in the Senate represent about 59% of the American people, and that, which there are 51 of them, right? Uh, the, the 49 of the Republicans represent like 41 percent. Yeah. And uh, if you think about that, along with the rules in the Senate that one give inordinate power to every individual. So Tommy Tuberville is basically undermining our national security single handedly and that the filibuster rule for legislation makes it almost impossible to overcome the veto power of that 41% uh, of voters. Well, you and I have a solution for that. We have, and we tried, and I thought we had Manchin on board, and then, of course, Manchin in his inimitable way. Let's Let's describe it for the folks real quick one more time. Uh, basically, uh, the first week I was in the Senate, I called you up and I said, wait a minute, we need, we need 60 to get cloture and they, they don't need anything. They just leave for the, they they don't come back on Monday if we have a cloture vote. So Ted Kennedy was six and we only had 49 and we had McConnell filibuster as many uh, executive nominees as had been filibustered in the entire previous history of the country during the Obama administration. So I was saying, why not make them, you said, why not make them come up instead with 41 votes instead of us having 60? And they got to do it and they got to show up. But not only that, but then we talked about different ways of saying, making it like you got to do a talking filibuster. You got to sit there and talk. Yeah. The idea was not to blow up all the rules. It was actually to return the filibuster to its traditional narrow role where the burden is on the minority to try to use in a you know small subset of issues, the ones that are really... That they really care about and maybe care about. care about for a reason enough to go to the floor and debate it. Yes. And that you could force them to do it if they had continuously to have to come up with 41 of their members. And it made all kinds of logical sense. And Manchin, when you talk to him, and then when I talked to him after that, he actually even publicly said that that was maybe a really good idea. And then he backed away from it and wouldn't support anything. I have lost 
every bit of positive feeling that I might have had for him as somebody with fundamental integrity over the way he misused uh, that issue. Well, I, I, I now still want to be able to talk to him and, oh, yeah. and say to him, don't run on the no labels party. Yeah. Well, I'm very fearful of what he might do there. And that's a topic for a longer discussion in another day. But, you know, let me take your uh, the numbers that you used even a little bit further. We are almost at a point where 70% of Americans will live in just 15 of our 50 states. And that's because those 15 states, the bigger ones, are the drivers of the economy. Two-thirds or more of our GDP comes from those states. People move to the states where the economy is thriving. But what that means is we're almost at a point where 30% of Americans will elect 70 senators. And it's not that they'll all be, you know, all the small states are Republican. We've got Delaware and Maine. And all the big states are Democratic. Rhode Island. We got Rhode Island. Island, There there are several of them, but more of them are red. And then you've got... Yeah, Wyoming has less than 600,000 people. Yeah. And Alaska. um, We've got lots of those. Montana's becoming much more firmly red. I'm hoping against uh, hope and experience that John Tester can stay in office. But with all of that... The, the fact is we're going to have a tiny minority of Americans who do not represent the diversity of the country or its economic future or dynamism who will be able to overcome almost anything, whether it's filibusters or vetoes uh, in the Senate, and they will be profoundly unrepresentative of the country. And I keep hearing, you know, Mike Lee and many others sort of smugly saying, we don't have a democracy, we have a republic. What we have is a republican form of democracy, small r, which means that voters elect representatives who are supposed to represent them. And we are increasingly moving to a system where voters elect representatives who don't represent the voters in the country. And it is going to lead to a crisis in legitimacy that goes beyond the fact that the Republican Party now is a lunatic cult. Now, my here is my solution. Uh, divide California into eight states. Californians vote about 60-40 uh, Democratic. I would gerrymander the hell out of when, when we make those states. Yeah. So, uh, so West Hollywood be in the same state as Bakersfield. and so you get 16 democratic senators out of those so you're adding 14 and then uh the just to spite them because the way mcconnell and the republicans refused to take up merrick garland on a bogus thing and then then did coney barrett let's just turn the same bullshit on them and and just to spite them North Rhode Island, South Rhode Island, they'll be called the Rhode Islands, like yeah. the Dakotas. Then D.C. gets two, uh, East and West Puerto Rico get four. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, Puerto Rico is, has tended to vote for Republican governors and uh, uh, their non-voting representatives. But I say, let's give Puerto Rico... Uh, well, then seats. don't give them that. No, give, them <laughs> give the U.S. Virgin Islands two seats. Give Guam two seats, 
they have every right to be states. And let's look back and recognize that Virginia and West Virginia are one state. The Dakota territories turned into one North and South Dakota. The Carolinas did exist before. Let's but, be careful about Virginia. Yeah. No. Well, no. but the point is that they were made into two states and the Dakota territories into two states so that conservatives could have more representation in the Senate. Turn the tables. And it's, you know, part of the same problem that Democrats have not used the hardball rules that Republicans or in the past, right-wing Democrats, racist Democrats, uh, pro-slavery Democrats used to expand their own power. It's what they did when they capped the size of the House at 435 so that they could keep all those immigrants coming in through Ellis Island and the former slave families from having uh, enough representation to dilute the power of the pro-slavery, pro-segregationist right. So it's time to make some of those changes. And, you know, if in the end, Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, even Louisiana decide that maybe they ought to secede, you know, we can think about that as well. Yeah. What we're seeing, Al, is that the secessionists lost in 1864-65. They're winning now. In effect, it's not slavery, but what Alabama, Mississippi, and some of these other uh, segregationist states are doing is imposing a set of not just Jim Crow laws, but radical provisions otherwise on abortion and many other things that are the same as if they had seceded uh, back then. And if they'd gotten rid of slavery, they would be doing some of the same things that they're doing now. They're winning. Well, it, this all underscores the importance of everybody getting involved in this election, and uh, especially in states that are battleground states. So, well, we'll, we'll see what happens uh, this week, but uh, I don't think you hold out a lot of hope. We're in for an extended uh, shutdown, I think. And the question at the end is either will McCarthy finally decide uh, that he has to get something done with uh, more Democrats than Republicans, or will we end up bypassing McCarthy with a discharge petition in the House and hope that there are five to 10 Republicans with enough guts to buck their own party to get the government open again? Remember, there are 17 or 18 Republicans who were elected in states in, in districts that Biden won or where they're highly competitive, and they may decide that they've got to take a big risk. Uh, that could happen. And then there will almost certainly be a motion to vacate uh, the speakership. And then it's a question of whether McCarthy can somehow prevail or, barring that, what kind of radical replaces him as speaker. And uh, I'm not sure we wouldn't be better off at this point to really show how lunatic the Republican cult has become by letting them put in a Matt Gates or a Marjorie Taylor Greene or uh, somebody who fits that mold as a speaker and show how completely incapable they are of actually governing in a way that fits the interests of the American people. There you heard it, ladies and gentlemen, uh, from Norm Ornstein back in the Pantheon, Leo Franken 
podcast, uh, scholar, and uh, uh, all-around great guy. Thank you, Al, until I'm taken out of the Pantheon next time. (laughs) That'll happen when something comes on. But then you'll be back in. You'll be back in. Well, I I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I want to thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuel, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.